Hello, hello, and welcome to Dubliners by Dubliners, the podcast where we, two Dubliners, discuss the short story collection Dubliners by James Joyce. We are your hosts, Lachlan Coyne and John Cofeather. Welcome to the first episode, The Sisters. I'll give you a brief introduction to the show as a whole now, and then um, I'll take you through the, uh, we'll take you through the short story collection itself. Um, we hope you'll join us as uh, we deep dive into each of the stories, uh, hopefully on a once a month schedule, and uh, obviously we invite you to read along. Um, I'll just hand over to my co-host John now to give us some background on Dubliners and ourselves and take it from there. Thank you very much for that introduction, Lachlan. Uh, yeah, to briefly introduce us to the listeners, Lachlan and I met in Trinity College in Dublin, where we were both studying English. Uh, sadly, not the same university that Joyce himself attended. He attended the, the nearby UCD, uh, that's University College Dublin. Uh, but nevertheless, we got to spend some good times in the heart of Dublin City. Um, we've described ourselves in the podcast title as Dubliners. Lachlan grew up in South County, Dublin, and now lives in the city centre. My claim to being a Dubliner is uh, maybe a bit more shaky. Um, I grew up in the nearby county of Kildare, uh, where Joyce actually spent some of his school years. Um, and I moved to Dublin when I was 18. Uh, I spent 12 year- years there and I now live in Berlin. As well as, as introducing us, I'll just take a quick moment to introduce Dubliners itself. So it's a collection of short stories. There's 15 short stories in all. Uh, and they all deal with the lives of various different Dubliners, uh, mostly lower middle class Dubliners and mostly people who are finding Dublin a kind of inhospitable city, inhospitable to their dreams, to their ambitions, uh, even to their material well-being. Um, the work was first published in 1914 and it was written by Joyce some years previously between 1904 and 1907 uh, when Joyce was in his early 20s. I'd like to maybe briefly touch on one or two of Joyce's other works. Um, The first one is a portrait of the artist as a young man. Even though we're going to be focused on Dubliners in this podcast, I think it's also interesting just to to know, and we'll probably reference this book sometimes, as uh, it's a a sort of an autobiographical novel in which uh, the protagonist, Stephen Dedalus, who is kind of a stand-in for Joyce, uh, becomes a writer or at least has these formative experiences that lead him on the way to becoming a writer. Um, The other work I wanted to briefly mention is Ulysses, and it was actually published 100 years ago this year. So it was first published in 1922. Uh, And as a result, there's many events happening throughout this year to celebrate the book. Uh, And if you're interested in finding out more about those events, uh, you can check out the website ulysses100.ie. So with that short intro into Joyce's works, particularly um, the ones that will be relevant to the podcast, I think let's maybe now turn our focus a bit more towards Dubliners itself. And Lachlan, do you want to share with the listeners what drew you to Dubliners originally? Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, John. So I think Dubliners is a fascinating cultural touchstone I suppose for the traditional Irish person in, in general and and I suppose Dubliners as a, a specific subset of that uh, for me personally I think my first encounter with the book was in when I was about 15 or 16 and it was prescribed to me for uh, my kind of uh, leaving cert English uh, exam I found the book to be fascinating um, I had a burgeoning interest in literature, shall we say, at the time, and um, being able to to pick up this novel and and, and it was really, as far as, far as I'm concerned, uh, my my first kind of direct interaction with with modernism as a as a conceptual piece. Uh, Dubliners is obviously um, as a collection of short stories. It gives you a, a fantastic insight into a wide range. You're you're, you're not trapped following an individual or, or a single character throughout the piece and, and then allowing that spectrum or that, that uh, nearly panoply of uh, different experiences in the singular city of Dublin really creates a an environment or an idea in your head of, of, of what exactly 
Dublin would have been like at the uh, around the, the the turn of the twentieth century. Um, I think for me personally, I think Joyce is probably one of the greatest artists of all time uh, in the loosest or most general sense of the, of the work. And, and, and I think any, any exploration of his canon or, or any wider exercise in, in addressing both that, your own Irish identity or, or dealing with, with my own Irish identity and then also kind of experiencing art and, and, and literature as pieces Dubliners is the optimum starting point. Uh, I, I think often there's been suggestions that Dubliners is both a a gateway into into Joyce and arguably into to a degree nearly the the, the, the modern canon or that the, the modernist movement as as a whole. Um, I know from from talking to John on this, um, I think John, you've you've, you've slightly different opinions on uh, Joyce's and Dubliners specifically its position within the the modernist canon. So uh, what 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 drew what drew you to Dubliners in the first instance, I suppose, and. What is that tasty little tidbit of your opinion on, on, on modernism? Yeah, it's a good question. When you, when you kind of ask me what, what drew me to the book, I mean, it's a very easy book to get drawn into, I would say. It's a kind of book that rewards even a very kind of casual, almost a shallow reading. Um, it has these things that just captivate you from the start, these you know, compelling plot lines that kind of don't exactly resolve as you expect. It has uh, interesting characters, characters that you care about. It has funny dialogue. And yeah, all these things make it very enjoyable on a first read. And yeah, but then I guess what keeps you interested in it is that, you know, once you're drawn in, you can keep digging. And there's a lot of interesting things Joyce does within the text. His use of language, how he structures his plots. And then looking at the wider perspective, which I think is maybe something you alluded to as well as, you know, you can reflect on what it means to be Irish, what it says about what it means to be Irish, what it means to be a Dubliner, um, also what it means in, in, in the context of modernism, which you, which you also alluded to. And um, yet yeah, for me, I guess, when you, when you look at Joyce's later works, works like Ulysses, um, you know, you have these techniques of writing, these techniques of narration that are kind of hallmarks of, of modernism, such as you know, a variety of different perspectives and styles. So you don't have one consistent narrative voice throughout the whole thing. You don't have one consistent narrator, uh, but rather a, a multitude of different perspectives and narrators. Uh, you also have a lot of stream of consciousness writing. And so, yeah, I think some of these ideas are touched upon in Dubliners or, or you see the edges of them perhaps, but they're, I think largely Dubliners remains within a realist mode, at least from my perspective. Anyway, I don't want to talk too long about the book in the abstract. I think it's always more interesting to talk about things with reference to the text. Uh, and with that in mind, let's jump into our first story. Sure. Thanks, John. So, um, obviously, The Sisters is the first book in Joyce's collection the, of Dubliners. And I suppose, ultimately, this is the story of a, at its core, a young boy uh, experiencing death for the first time. Um, obviously much more intricate than that and you know an incredibly detailed and layered uh, piece of narrative where we have an unnamed or relatively unnamed protagonist working his way through the streets of Dublin he identifies or sees a notice about the priest that he has a relationship with again interesting point that we'll pick up on later and uh, the priest has passed away the boy on his way home then uh, is, I suppose, from his perspective, sees conversations happening or not happening, in essence, between his various kind of related family members. And over the course of the, the next couple of days, we continue to follow the boy as he interacts with various adults around him and piece together a slightly, uh, slightly sinister, I think, um, narrative around the priest and what exactly happened to him and, and, and where he's, why he is in the, uh, the particular state that he was in at the end of, uh, at the end of his life. I think that's uh, teed up. So as well, obviously the, um, the sisters of the, the, the titular sisters are, uh, is a reference to the two women with whom the priest lived with in his, end, in his final days. I think that's a, an interesting introduction into how Joyce structures his narratives around you know, with no reference to the priest or the to the boy itself, it's uh, it's very much the 
liminal spaces between where um, where things are and where things aren't that uh, the the real narrative happens. Yeah, I think um, there's kind of three separate, I suppose, narrative strands going on there, right? It's the the boy who's the protagonist, who's you know our our eyes on the world, but then the main kind of um, the, the character with the most action or the person the kind of story is about or that we consistently hear more and more about is the priest. And then, as you said, the third person or group of people is the sisters. And it's it's a little bit uh, perplexing when you first read the story. If, if somebody asks you, what is this story about? You've kind of got these three different things all kind of playing off each other. Um, I think for me, what really sticks out about this story is... Um, the way we're gradually kind of given more and more information about the the priest. It's kind of got this, the structure is almost like a, a horror movie or something. You know, you find out there's something not quite right. You know, our earliest introduction, I think, is um, uh, old Mr. Cotter, um, uh, a friend of the boy's uh, aunt and uncle, who comes and kind of says he's not quite sure about this priest maybe he shouldn't be hanging out with him and maybe there's something going on there and it's a strange case and and at that point we as readers don't really know you know what's all this what's all this about <laughs> and then gradually over time we're giving more more and more details and it's it's a, as i said it's it's a bit like a horror movie in that you kind of have this sinister thing le- uh, looming over the narrative but at first, you're just given a very kind of distant view on it, and then gradually, more and more details are filled in. Absolutely, no. I think um, the and and that's probably something uh, I suppose in terms of a framework or a guide for for any of you who are trying to narratively or I suppose theoretically attack Dulliners, um This concept of denouement, as uh, as I recall one college lecturer uh, outlining to me. One is is fundamental, I think, to I suppose Dubliners as a whole and and, and each of the stories in the collection. This, um, for for want of a better phrase, the the gut punch moment, as 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 I often describe it, where there is a, a twist or a trick coming near the end of uh, many of the stories. And I suppose the sisters, there isn't I suppose a clear or defined denouement moment, other than. I suppose the, the the very end of the story and uh, apologies spoilers if you haven't uh, if you haven't completed the the whole story um, stop the podcast now it's not that long and uh, listen to it but um, absolutely at the end I think the, the 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 boy references the fact that he's always kind of hated the priest and there was a or not quite hated but that, that there was always a a sense of disgust in in, in the boy's perception of the priest or have I got that uh, am I getting that mixed up with an encounter. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't quite use the word disgust. I believe uh, there's the boy has a kind of an interesting reaction to the to the priest's death in that he um you know he values the things that the priest has taught him. Um you know he's taught him, you know, lots of things about um Catholic theology and Latin and so on, but at the same time the boy um feels freed in some way by the death. He feels uh yeah, like like a weight has fallen off him, and um, yeah, I think it's um, uh, to me at least how I read that is that there's this kind of yeah the, the weight of this kind of Catholic teaching and this expectation is in some way he's in, intrigued by it, but it's also a very kind of oppressive force. You know, this the um, the seriousness of it and and the seriousness of of concepts of you know hell and sin and these sort of things. Obviously, way on way on the um, the boy as well, and I I, I, I kind of think of his um, of his reaction to the priest dead, and I I, I compared a little bit to um, Stephen Daedalus's um, um, rejection of religion, I guess, in in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, um, where there's a point where Daedalus he hasn't explicitly rejected religion but he's kind of he has uh an awareness he's saying he knows he's going to fall mm. it's like he he knows that there's something in this that isn't quite sitting right with him and even though he hasn't kind of intellectually reached that point of i reject this he just he knows to himself a little bit that you know i'm not going to continue down this path um and obviously the the boy doesn't articulate you know the boy is much less articulate about it because he's you know, much younger, and he doesn't think about it in that way. But he does still feel this 
this lightening, this uh, lessening of a weight with the priestess. De definitely, and, yeah. and I think there's two two interesting points to pick up there. I mean, I think the first one is the comparisons with with Stephen Dedalus and the, and, the, and the concept of, uh, I suppose, him as as a fully fledged character rejecting religion or not quite rejecting, but I suppose an uneasy relationship with religion. And I think that's a theme probably not massively explored to be honest with you across um, Dubliners so much as I think it, it, it it's absolutely expanded upon in, in, in some of Joyce's other works and you know I'll be the first to admit I, I haven't made it all the way around Finnegan's Wake if I can use that expression but um, you know my understanding is <laughs> that uh, religion plays plays a more significant role in that and I suppose the other thing is um, the, the the other point to, to raise there was just that the idea of um, the boy is a fully fleshed character. I mean, this is a very short story. This is, you know, 10, 15 minutes of reading, maybe 20. And yet you come away, despite being an incredibly tightly written narrative, you come away with a fully fleshed out sense of the boy and his role both within the world and I suppose his interaction and relationships with the, the, the various other characters. So, um, and I think that that's really a testament to Joyce's style of writing and his ability to structure narratives and things like that and, and, and to to speak to, I suppose, the the role of religion, I suppose, in, in the world then. And I think that that's probably or possibly a thematic point. Um if I can introduce one there are a couple of thematic points on on, on, on this uh on this podcast. I think um Joyce and and to to a point we made earlier, Joyce rewards a close reading of the narrative and, and an incredibly tight cleaving to the text. So um, I think it's in, interesting to note there's three italicized words in the uh, in the in the story itself, and these are words uh, spoken by the priest to the boy, um, paralysis, nomen, and simony. I think you were saying these 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 are the words uh, taught. Or among the things taught by the priest to the to the boy, and um, I suppose these represent, I think, in some way, or at least my my interpretation of them would be that these represent in some way both a guide to the Dubliners and the the book or this collection of stories as a whole, and also then I suppose in a, in, a, in an incredibly tight narrative sense, the um, the issues or problems within the the story itself, and I think there's this concept of echoing. The, the Sisters is very much um, consciously chosen to be the first story in the collection from for a number of reasons from its uh, it is the the absolute beginning of, of, of this narrative structure yeah I think this the sisters is uh, it's obviously the first story it was also um, the first uh, one Joyce wrote and I think it's also has certain links with it with the last story with the dead um, I know I was reading in um, in the, the introduction to the Penguin text. I think uh, Terence Brown notes that the the titles for the dead and the sisters could be almost interchanged. You know, in in both texts you have the concept of dead and you have these sisters that are some way hosting. And so there's there's a lot of these um, parallels between the stories. You know, so it's it's nice, obviously, when you have this collection to have uh, something at the start and something at the end that kind of reflect on each other. I think the other reason maybe it, it works well as as an introductory piece is, um, uh, it, like you said, it, these 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 three concepts, or at least for me, at least, I think paralysis is is um, something that Joyce tries to capture throughout the whole collection. This paralysis of Dublin mm. as a city. You know, these kind of frustrated peoples who have people who have dreams of accomplishing things or doing something but end up being dragged down into this very kind of mercenary world, worried about survival, just not really uh, attaining any sort of higher goal, whether that be spiritual or artistic or, or what have you. Um, yeah, and then... Um, yeah, lastly, I think, uh, yeah, there's a there's a progression through the, through the collection of... Um, you know, the, the early stories deal with kind of childhood and then it goes on to teenage years and adulthood and political life. Um, and yeah, but I, I, I think, yeah, the sisters, uh, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a great opener for me because it, it really sets out all, the, all these things. Um, absolutely, no, I think there's, um, 
it's it's it it is one of the tightest um, stories. Although as I, as I glance over my notes here, um, I, I I've actually asked the question: Is is the sisters even a story in the traditional sense, or is this literally um, a kind of a Joycean clever play or pun almost to to say you think you've bought a collection of short stories? Well, no one ever reads the introduction of a book. This is my introduction, and I think in some ways you can. You can see that, I think, over the course of um, the collection, the narrative becomes slightly more definitive, I would say. There's less ambiguity around everything that's going on or, or, or some of the characters' motivations. One, we're, we're, we're perpetually given, um, I suppose, wider and wider perspectives where it's no longer tied to an individual narrative or, say, for example, in, in this, we see every, we only see what the boy sees and conversations. For example, when the boy interrupts old Cotter talking about his, um, you know, his, his, his perception of the priest, when Cotter, the old man, as, as you can imagine, would, you know, cut off whatever he was saying as he sees a, a child entering the room, we don't get to hear the rest of that story. Whereas, you know, slightly later on, the, you know, we hear the boy referencing Cotter as a tiresome old fool. So we, we are we are privy to the boy's um, internal monologue, I suppose, without having a narrative perspective outside of or, or, or beyond uh, the knowledge of, of the boy. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that's an interesting point in terms of, you know, that we're only given the boy's perspective on this, um, that he that we're, we don't really know what else is going on in the story, but also that, you know, we kind of, we have in some sense, in some areas, the boy's kind of interior monologue and the boy doesn't really make these kind of asides to say, okay, this is what's going on. Um, but I think what's interesting is there was an, an earlier version of this story that was published in uh, the Irish Homestead. Um, it was published, in fact, I guess nearly nine years before the actual book Dubliners came out. So, so Joyce had a lot of time to rework it. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe I can read out like how that that section you just mentioned there, how Old Cotter is introduced in the uh, the first version of the story versus how it, how it is later. So, in the early version, um, Joyce writes, Old Cotter and my uncle were talking at the fire smoking. Old Cotter is the old distiller who owns the batch of prize setters. He used to be very interesting when I knew him first talking about faints and worms. Now I find him tedious. So it's a very, um, you know, matter of fact, he's kind of informing the reader who Old Cotter is. Um, yeah, and if we compare that now to the, to the final version, it's Old Cotter was sitting at the fire smoking when I came downstairs to supper. While my aunt was ladling out my stir about, he said, as if returning to some former remark of his, so already we have we have old Cotter and he's saying something, but we as the reader don't know who he is. Um, and and then and then later we have he began to puff at his pipe, no doubt arranging his opinion in his mind. Tiresome old fool. When we, f we knew him first, he used to be rather interesting, talking of faints and worms. But I soon grew tired of him and his endless stories about the distillery. So you have this introduction of of, of tiresome old fool, which makes the there is that explanation then about Mr. Cotter and his, his role in the distillery, but it makes it more of a of the boy's uh, interior monologue. It's kind of stemming from this uh, expression of anger, this tiresome old fool, and then he's kind of explaining to himself, you know, why I find him tiresome and so on. And it feels much more, yeah, within the boy's kind of, um, yeah, almost almost like a stream of consciousness, much more so than, you know, the earlier version, which is more... Like you see that the, the author of the story is, is kind of explaining something to the reader. And I think, yeah, that's that's something that kind of you see throughout Dubliners is it's kind of on the, on the cusp of modernism. You know, you have you have this method of storytelling, this method of storytelling that isn't quite, um, you know, the kind of formal exploration, the stream of consciousness you see in Ulysses or even in some of the, the perspective changes and things in, in portrait or other works. But you still have these, it's not quite just a straight realistic text. It's not quite doing these kind of explanatory things that you might have seen in earlier, um, you know, say, Victorian English writing. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a much better version of the story as well. It's much more, um, I suppose, show and, and don't tell, as, as you would say, in a creative writing class. Absolutely. And I, and I mean, I think it speaks to the... Um 
the point I made earlier about liminal spaces in the first instance, but also um, I think it, it, it interestingly ties with uh, Noman. So as, as I may or may not have defined for you earlier, Noman is, um, I suppose, in the concept of Euclidean geometry, um, the figure that added to another figure gives the same shape. Um, in, in essence, what this is, is the idea of looking at the absence of something and being able to derive the full piece or the full shape from which it's uh, it's removed. So, for example, um, the pointed central thing on a sundial and the shadow it casts are um, what's refer what is uh, is also what a gnomon is. So, the idea that the absence of light on the sundial derives or provides you with the information, and it's I think a concept that Joyce probably brought into. The sisters that were, were settled on in terms of managing and, and, and writing the sisters is this idea of absence and the definition of meaning through an absence rather than a presence or, or an existence. So rather than having an omniscient narrator tell us what Cotter does, it's provided to us in the context of, of the, the, the conversation that they're having. Yeah, I think um, absence is a, is a, again, like we say, we're only getting very limited perspective in this story um, in terms of um, what the boy is is perceiving, but also even what he's perceiving, the characters themselves are leaving a lot of things out. They're, you know, the the dialogue in the story is is characterized by these ellipses, right, or these things that are not said, and I think that that adds to this kind of central feeling of, of mystery that, that we kind of mentioned earlier. Um, and yeah, and I guess, I guess kind of one of the questions that, that comes up as you're reading this story is, is what, what did the priest do exactly? You know, why is, why is everything so hush-hush about it? Because at the end we learned he, he broke a chalice, but it seems like there's something more going on there. Absolutely, no. I think um, it's, it's, it's really one of, it's, it's in some ways the core mystery of the story and simultaneously um, nearly irrelevant to the the story as a whole is is what did the priest do the the chalice and the I suppose the implication of paralysis is um, I I think it's never fully explored or at least I've I've not seen any kind of conclusive uh, thought on on what exactly is wrong with them but uh, I think I think some degree of syphilitic uh, mental degeneration is 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 typically bandied about or, or, or proposed as, as the possible reason for uh, the priest's mental decline. Right, the, the, the symptoms that Joyce describes would, would be in line with, with a, I think, like a syphilitic infection of, of the nervous system or something that paralysis would... I mean, I wouldn't have known that <laughs> beforehand, for sure, but uh, yeah, that, that, that does seem to be... Yeah. The... Yeah, I, I think, to, to, to be fair, and it's, 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 it's actually an interesting comparison, is uh, Ibsen's... The dollhouse, um, again, features similarly features a you know male protagonist figure that ultimately succumbs to a syphilitic infection, and there's a lot of um, discussion, I suppose, in, in in that piece about the idea of the sins of the father being revisited on the child, as the obviously the at the time the syphilitic infection was uh, a sexually transmitted disease, there was no cure for it at the time, and uh, you know, in, inevitably, a, a man would infect his wife or partner, and their child would potentially be born with this uh, with this disease. And at the time, I suppose, again, faced with the idea of a progressive degenerative disease, it's it's a terrifying thought, and trapped in, in inside one's own body. And I suppose could make the argument, or one could certainly make the argument that um, you know. Would Joyce have been, uh, you know, obviously being a contemporary of Ibsen, would he, would he be familiar with the work? But uh, I think, well, if, I think, if, if, I, I think he definitely was. In fact, I think there's um, Joyce wrote a, a review of Ibsen's last play, whose name escapes me now, um, and, and and yeah, so he wrote a very uh, positive review of the play. He was, I think, Joyce always had this kind of slightly European outlook in terms of he believe that Irish writers should not just be kind of defining themselves in relation to to England but also like looking at what was happening on the continent and yeah people like Gibson but yeah um 
after he wrote the, this review of the play, uh, Ibsen actually wrote him a letter personally to thank him. So I, d I don't know if he would also have read The Doll's House, speci uh, Doll's House specifically, but I, I presume so, given it's, it's Ibsen's most famous work. Um, we're, we're regarding then what, what the priest uh, did. One, one of the things that kind of leads you to believe that maybe it's, it's, it's a, a more serious thing than... Um, then uh you know just breaking the chalice is uh there's this and again this period of of elliptical speech where um the aunt is talking to is it eliza and she's asking her about you know did he die peacefully in fact she doesn't say the word die she's like did he blank peacefully and then later uh and everything and then she leaves the pause and and and, the, and everything here is to you know question did he receive like the the sacraments before death um which would in a normal situation it would always you know occur especially for a priest he would he would um be blessed before his death um but the suggestion that maybe it might not have happened suggests that maybe there was something more serious going on there as well absolutely and i mean i think it's it's an interesting possible read and and again i haven't uh, Examined the scholarship in detail on this one, but um, obviously syphilitic infection in a, in, in a priest is uh, somewhat unusual. You you wouldn't be necessarily expecting him to have uh, acquired something of that nature. Um, so there, there's there's obviously a wider implication of um, whether the priest was um, you know engaging in what I suppose we we now know is a relatively common activity of uh, you know break breaking their their cardinal promises around um, relationships with with uh, other people um, yeah. but I, and I think that this point probably around the sacraments and the, receive, the receiving of the sacraments and things like that I think brings probably into uh, probably potentialises to, to, to bridge into a, a slightly more wide point about um, Joyce and, and, and Dubliner's position in, in, in Irish society at the time. And, you know, I think probably for, for, for clarification at the, at the time this, both Dubliner's is written and, and by the time it was written and the time it is set in, um, Ireland was a part of the UK monarchy. It was a, a vassal state with, I suppose, no authority under its own remit or its own steam. Um, and how that that as as I think you alluded to the the role of the English or, or versus the Europeans at the time was uh, you know very hotly contested and and and, and debatable. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Dublin is you know jo Joyce's Dublin is a is a city in decline, and I think <clears throat> economically Dublin has has been in decline uh, since. I think the Act of Union in, in say, 1800, where, um, you know, Ireland was no longer allowed to govern itself. It would now be governed from Westminster in England from the, by the British Parliament. Um, and, yeah, and obviously um, Dublin's esteem as a city, Dublin's prestige as a city, it's no longer a, a, a European capital. It's no longer a London or a Paris. It's, it's now just, uh, you know, another city in, the, in, the, in, in Britain. It's a, it's a, you know, a Manchester or a Birmingham or some, somewhere else, you know. Um, and, yeah, not only is it a loss of prestige, but it's also uh, economically it, it has not been doing well at this point. You know, it's obviously uh, the famine happened in, uh, you know, the mid-19th mid, uh, century. The population of Ireland was reduced by a half, you know, millions of people dying and emigrating. And then at this time, it still hasn't recovered. So it's, it's a city in, in, in decline. And I think a, a lot of the characters as well are kind of people who are you know, running to stand still or, or perhaps also, um, you know, uh, uh, falling down in some ways. And um, I think the, the interesting thing uh, as well, it ties back into religion, is that the priesthood was kind of seen as a, a, a method of social advancement. Uh, and we can even see that a little bit in, in Father Flynn in this story. Um, he talks about wanting to go to his old house in um, Irishtown, which would be a, at the time was, I believe, a, a very poor neighborhood um, living, you know, a lot of people living in almost like slum conditions. 
and at one stage he rose as high as to you know he was studying in Rome, which would be uh, quite a prestigious um, thing to do. You know, only very um, promising or um, yeah ambitious priest would go to go to study in Rome. Um, and in the end, then he 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 dies, and he's living in um, Great Britain Street, which um, nowadays is is Parnell Street, uh, city in the in, our street in the north inner city uh, in Dublin, and um, yeah, which I believe is also was also considered a relatively poor area at the time, although perhaps not quite as poor as you know where he had initially grown up. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think if you if you look at his trajectory, then you see a kind of a uh, someone who grew up very poor and kind of was moving towards almost these these great heights, you know, within the priesthood, but in the end didn't quite got, get there. That you know, presumably his transgressions or the the mystery of the story played some role in that, um, and he kind of fell back down to earth, so to say. Absolutely, and I, I think um, again to to bring in some kind of biographical details of of, of Joyce himself. Um, Obviously, his family would have been relatively well-to-do, especially in his early days. And I think a little bit this narrative comes through slightly more clearly in um, Portrait of the Artist. I think, John, you were referencing this earlier. But um, obviously, Joyce's family uh, did not uh, maintain their wealth. And, and as, I suppose, Ireland as a nation as a whole and the I suppose the city of Dublin as a, as a microcosm of Ireland and Joyce as a microcosm of... Uh, Dubliners as a whole, um, found struggled economically, and um, I think that's certainly the perspective that Joyce takes in in the sisters in the first instance and Dubliners as a whole. That um, that examination of the working class or the poor and the, the the relatively impoverished in a nation that has suffered significantly as as a result of. Um, you know, as we as we mentioned, the the, the, the natural and say political phenomena that uh, afflicted the nation, and you know, I th- I think I'm reminded of um, I think Joyce's objective in in writing Dubliners uh, to forge in the smithy of my soul the uncreated conscience of my nation, and I think in some ways that is uh, that is what he's achieving here, and 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 that is I think that that speaks a little bit to. One of the points you made earlier about about the realist nature of this text and and its role as a holding a mirror up to society, achieving that that kind of true artistic aim of of allowing the people, in the broadest possible sense of the word, to see themselves as the people, and to see themselves reflected in the narratives and the documentation and the history of the time of those people. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I think yeah, that was very explicitly Joyce's um, Joyce's aim. I think he was, you know, in in writing against uh, a lot of other kind of narratives of Ireland of what Ireland was, um, both in terms of you know how it was perceived externally from the country, from other countries, but also what other um, contemporaries were writing. So people involved in the Irish literary revival. Um, you know, so uh, people like Yeats and Singh and Lady Gregory, who were kind of drawing on a more mythical, historical Ireland and also a much more rural version of Ireland. Um, and yeah, whereas Joyce's is 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 one might say more cynical. It's it's less optimistic, definitely a less uh, uh, um, hopeful or heroic version of Ireland. Um, and yeah, I think um, yeah, it, it comes true. But there is there is also humor, and there is um, you know there's a there's a pathos there for the for the characters involved. You know, sometimes like there's a, a certain level of ironic distance or, or mocking of them almost in some ways. But you always feel you always get a feeling for the characters at the same time. Absolutely, the, the, these individuals that inhabit this book are nothing if not human beings. And I think that's that's true of every character between the from the the titular sisters through to the boy, old Cotter, his aunt and uncle, and and even the priest himself. I mean, I think uh, no matter what aspersions are cast on him by the, I suppose that the missing pieces of the narrative. I think it's it's interesting to to note that you never actually experience the um, or or 
directly see an interaction between the priest and the boy in the in the narrative itself the, the, these are always just memories reflected to the reader via the the, the boy's own narrative perspective so there, there there's even a an implied dissonance or disconnect between what um what we think we know about the priest and what other characters think about the priest and and and, and we're forced to 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 form this image of, of of the priest as a as an imagined character but within that i think anyone who comes away from having read this story certainly has a has a fully fleshed out perception and and and, and thought on the, the the priest irrespective of whether that's uh, positive or negative and i i think that that really is a testament to uh, the richness of the text which i think is a point we've we, we've hammered home a few times but i think it's it merits acknowledging the richness of the text and the richness of the uh, the the writing material itself i think uh yeah as you mentioned how how, how well realized the priest is or how he's not you know there's no like explicit moral judgment on him one way or another as well i think um you know eliza this this character that we only see very briefly in in the in the story as well is also you know has a lot of color to her just in her dialogue i think it's really interesting i mean joyce has a great ear for dialogue and um i think you know he captures a lot of dublinese or dublin vernacular that's that's still in use today you know for me there was nothing really in this that I that I found difficult to read. Maybe I can imagine for a, an international reader, there might be a few turns of phrase that are, are a little difficult to understand. But I think most of it is is, is fairly straightforward. But yeah, I just wanted to maybe um, some dialogue that I really liked uh, to, to maybe read out. And it's it's when um, yeah when again when the aunt is talking to Eliza, and it's this very inconsequential kind of funeral talk. These kind of things that you say that don't really mean anything that are just the things that you say to be you know social to um you know just to have something to say it's less about the information conveyed um and yeah and so so the dialogue is uh uh eliza closed her eyes and shook her, sh- her shook her head slowly uh, there's no friends like the old friends she said when all is said and done and no friends that a body can trust indeed that's true said my aunt and I'm sure now that he's gone to his eternal reward, he won't forget you and all your kindness to him. Ah, poor James, said Eliza. He was no great trouble to us. She, you wouldn't hear him in the house any more than now. Still, I know he's gone and all to that. It's when he's, it's all over that you'll miss him, said my aunt. I know that, says, said Eliza. I won't be bringing him in his cup of beef tea anymore, nor you, ma'am, sending him his snuff. Um, ah, poor James. And then she stops. And it's it's... It's that real, uh, you know. It's, 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 it's inconsequential to the to the plot in some ways, but it, it really gives life to the characters. And um, yeah, and I think you know Eliza again later on. She talks about, uh, you know, when they when um, the priests desire to go back to his house in Irish Town. She uses a, a malapropism there. See, saying that uh, the priest heard about these these cars with the rheumatic wheels uh you know when she means uh pneumatic pneumatic wheels thank you <laughs> silent p got me there <laughs> yeah so joyce you know there's a certain ironic distance there joyce is you know it's it's a little bit it's a little bit mocking but i think he still has uh you know he's he's still a, a kind of a uh, a friendly portrait of her and um yeah I, I guess one one other thing about her dialogue kind of kind of stuck out with me um and that was um you know when she's talking about how things went uh, not so well for for the priest uh, she says his his life was you might say crossed and you know it's this idea of you know being some way cursed in some way which is obviously um totally against you know catholic teaching it's this very superstitious belief and I think um, that's a that's a kind of thing that that comes up again and again in the text is this um, uh, this misunderstanding of religion um, and this kind of uh, you know religion is treated very seriously and very importantly by the characters, but they also don't really understand it. Um, and I th- yeah, I think that's that's seen a lot in, in in Grace later, one of the later stories, but it it, it comes up here uh, as well. Absolutely no, no, and and sorry to, to to pick up on a couple of the points there you said because I think there's actually a couple of interesting ideas in there. I think abs- absolutely the 
organic nature, if I can use that term, to describe the the dialogue and the the characters themselves. It's it's it, it's it's all very human, um, and I, I think as as well, even in 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 the quotes that you read out, you you, you can see those um, the the idea of a gnomon and simony coming through. The idea that oh, he's gone to his eternal reward, but sure he'll look after you. The idea of purchasing indulgences or you know the the sale and and I suppose the contagion of money within the the role of the church. Um, you know, the, the, there's almost a transactional value to taking care of the priest in in respect of the benefits that it that will accrue to you later on. And I think in, in from the gnomon perspective, and, and this is probably a better example of a gnomon than the the, the sundial analogy I was, I was giving earlier. The 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 idea of his not bringing him the beef tea or the, the, the snuff in the evenings is a, an absence, a small act that's absent from their life that indicates a larger absence of Father Flynn as a whole from, from their lives and their, their inability to recognize, um, or their, their inability or their ability to recognize his absence through the absence of a smaller piece of, uh, of his life that they would have uh, interacted with. But uh, no, I, th I think it's, it's it, again, it, it speaks to the, the richness of the text and the, the the absolute craftsmanship, I suppose, of of of, of each word and each uh, each thing on a microcosmic as well as a, a kind of slightly more macro level. But um, yeah, the the like you said, the craft that's applied to you know each individual conversation, each choice of word. Um, you know, Joyce I think describes his his style. He wrote, in a letter to um, the original publisher of the work, uh, Grant Richards, uh, he was kind of trying to explain the work a little because uh, they didn't really get what he was going for in some ways or, you know, there were some reservations about the text. In fact, the, the, the saga of Joyce trying to get this book published is, is an interesting story in its own right that, you know, involves everyone from, from Ezra Pound to, to the King of England. And I think maybe we can cover that story in, a, in another episode. But anyway, in this, in this letter he writes to his publisher, he, uh, he describes his style as a scrupulous meanness, which is this kind of, um, you know, it's meanness kind of seems like a, a negative trait that, you know, you're being, you know, stingy in some way, but it, it really shows, you know, he's not throwing things in um, unnecessarily there. He's, you know, every every piece of description is really, really intentional. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's maybe one or two images um, that I think we could maybe also have a look at here. Um, the first one, of course, is, is, is the chalice. So it's, mm. it's really um, such a strong image there. Um, you know, this sim symbol of, you know, Christ's blood held is as fundamental a symbol as religion or Catholicism as you could find. And the fact that it's broken then, of course, is, you know, it can be read as, you know, some, something broken within the church. But I think Joyce as well is, is a little bit almost resistant to too symbolic a meaning because it's, he, he makes a point to note that, of course, there was nothing in the chalice. You know, it's, it's, it's a symbol, but it's, he's still like holding on to this to this realist sort of approach um yeah and i think it's also you know the chalice spilling um it's like almost like the spilling of the blood of christ it's uh it's also kind of i think it weighs on on the on the child's mind in some ways at the end it's this is his kind of realization that there are something is not quite right in the world of adults that there's this kind of corruption or you know there's something it's it's a slow dawning of him and, and combined with that earlier kind of his reaction to the priest that i think we see that this child is is is, is learning something through this image absolutely no i mean i, th I think um the, the chalice is a fantastic image and i, I think it's Again, not to, to hammer the point home, but I, I suppose the richness of the text, the idea of um, this singular word. I don't, I don't know if the chalice appears more than than two or three times in 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 the in the course of the text, but it still has such a weight and significance to it, and it stands in for so many other aspects of the story and is used to su such richness and, and and thing. And again, I mean, I think you know. You've, as you've probably noticed across the course of this uh, podcast, you know we're constantly cycling back on the same concepts and themes and ideas. And you know one of those is 
the dearth of meaning or the absence of meaning in religion, which I think is, in the first instance, obviously a, a specifically Joycean concept, or at least one that, that he was eager to explore. But I, I think as well, it speaks to the wider social and cultural movement that both birthed modernism and, you know, to, to a more specific or targeted sense. And, you know, again, I, uh, I, I, a hill I will die on is, is, is proclaiming Joyce to be a modernist uh, author rather than, uh, I suppose, I, I think you're, you're, you're cleaving to realism, but... Um, in, in, in well, I, I don't know if I would... I, I think it depends on the on the text. I think I think Dubliners is a is a transitionary text, is what I would maybe call it. Absolutely. But, but we can uh, we can have continue to have that argument over the course a, of the podcast. Absolutely, look, uh, you know, co- co- come back to us in in, in fifteen episodes and, and tell us whether uh, Dubliners is is modernist or realist in its in its nature. Um, but I I think as as well picking up on the the, the chalice, I, I one aspect that I particularly like is the the, the image of the chalice breaking. And the concept almost of this is a both a breaking of the covenant, because obviously, uh, and, and and for any of you who are are lapsed or, or or never were Catholics, the um, the chalice represent is the vessel in which the priests mix the wine, which is representative of the wine served by Jesus Christ at the Last Supper, and this is the wine that becomes his his blood in essence, and, and, and this concept of a covenant, you know, th- this is his covenant that he gives to his followers. This is, a, you know, covenant is his bond, his agreement, or his, I suppose, transaction with them. And in breaking the chalice, this transaction is broken. The priest is no longer truly a priest. He is no longer a representative of Christ on earth. He is, he has broken the covenant. He is, uh, and, and that is, the trigger for his downfall within the within the the religious order within the society and his uh, his status from there, I suppose falls falls apart or, or falls to pieces. So it's uh, a, you know just a fantastic level of uh, depth of meaning to a to a singular image. Yeah, and I I think it kind of highlights as well like Joyce is very cynical or, or scathing of religion, particularly Catholicism throughout the book, but he's also kind of drawn in by its 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 mysticism and its pageantry in some way like it's it's images and it's you know even you know we have the chalice but we also have these these words the simony the catechism um you know if the things about the 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 boy learning the the mass in latin and so it's this kind of mysticism about um religion um and this kind of the rules of it and the the, the imagery of it it's, it's it's a theme that runs throughout um Joyce's work, you know, there's a very memorable section of, of Portrait of the Artist where um, one of the, the priests gives a, a lecture on the nature of hell, basically, and it, it takes up a fairly large portion of the book. So it's, I think, um, yeah, the, the, although Joyce is very scathing of religion, he does, he finds the, the there's some, some powerful, something powerful in the imagery of it that, it, that attracts him, I think. Yeah, and I suppose we've we've talked a little bit about, about the chalice, the image of the chalice. But uh, another interesting image is is this window with the candle in it at the start of the book. Um, it's it's you know it's what opens the book. I mean, do you have, do you have any thoughts on that uh, that image, Doctor? I mean, again, I think that that it's a fantastic image. There's a great contrasting, and I think it, it reminds me in some ways of um, early in a uh, portrait you have writing a letter and the place, you know, the letter, I suppose, the address of, of, of the writer is, is, is kind of expanded in a progressively wider and wider sense. So it starts at, you know, this street, this town, country of Ireland, Europe, the world, the Milky Way, the universe, and it kind of this progressively expanding thing to, to, to kind of signify the almost the smallness or relevance of the individual within, you know, this wider society. And I think this is almost a mirror image of that. And, you know, obviously this coming beforehand, you kind of think this is Joyce narrowing and zeroing you in on a singular point and a singular, you know, you are 
following this boy on this street, looking at this window, at this tiny piece of light inside this, you know, very capsule or encapsulated uh, place or room. And I think that there is an oppression or an oppressiveness to that room and that concept that, um, that the candle, I think, uh, presents or projects to us. And I think that um, that that that's a really rich and beautiful image, and 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 again, obviously, at, at the the waking, I suppose, of the body, um, you you simil similarly have that room, and you have this switching perspective from the boy, the outsider, unsure of what's going on vis-a-vis -vis the window, to flipping to inside the room and 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 seeing those candles kind of in person and 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 in 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 the room himself with them, so. I, 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 to me, I think it's 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 an incredibly, again, to to to, to harp on the word rich image and uh, you know again laden with significance and meaning. For me, yeah, I think I would agree with you on a lot of that. I think as well. What's interesting is it's the boy is is trying to perceive some sort of piece of information. You know, is the priest dead? He's kind of, and he's trying to get at this story this this thing of consequence through a very like a narrow window literally a very narrow path which is you know this if if the priest is dead they will light this candle if the candle is lit the light in the window will change and then what i see walking by on the street so it's it's very conscious of you know how you know that the information is transmitted at a distance and it's also in some ways like paralleling what we're experiencing in the story we're only getting this little bit of information this little bit of access into this wider story which um yeah, which i think is really nice well sorry to, to 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 pick up on that and actually to, to take that a little bit further i think what's interesting and, and and it's something you can forget reading this in the modern day in, in, in here in 2022 that obviously you know the visual language of media that we have today as a result of you know our access to television movies and and, and inevitably computers and things like that um didn't exist for for joyce you know the idea of a motion picture a movie is conceptually relatively meaningless to him the idea of presenting your book or presenting your written narrative in a way that appeals to the mind's eye of a reader was again i would say relatively cutting edge and and you know i think that that again points to joyce's ability as an author and as a curator of societal means that he was able to through these literary tools create or or envisage not only the narrative he wanted to tell but how a reader would perceive that narrative in their mind's eye and seeing that again then filtered through another lens of the child or the, the, the cognitive distance of the child is, is, is I think, just a, a fantastic image or a fantastic concept. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've en ended at the start in some ways. Uh, I, I, I think that's about it. I've already repeated myself enough. So is there, is there any other points you'd like to deal with, Lachlan, or final thoughts on the story? Uh, final thoughts on the story. I think this is a fantastic... Um, work it's a very easy if you have listened to this because you don't want to read Dubliners well first of all I hope we've convinced you you should absolutely read Dubliners and uh, you know I, I, I would hope that you would be excited to pick up um, the sisters or Dubliners in, in general the sisters at least and kind of take take a, take a punt on this um, you know I think the a lot of the themes and concepts we've visited or, or, or touched upon in this episode, we're, we're going to be picking up again and again. I think next week is, or next episode is going to be the, an encounter, and that is going to be uh, similar, but uh, I think a little bit edgier, a little bit more progressed. And I think that's that's something we'll probably talk on o o over the course of this. Is just the the structure of Dubliners as a whole. It's 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 hard to unpick the the whole thing while dealing with one. But uh, I think certainly this is a great introduction to the, the, the collection and really facilitates your understanding of uh, how, the, how, how you are both meant to interpret and how you can or to give you a guide to interpreting uh, the, the, the wider book. Uh, you know, given, given I did the intro, John, I'll let you have the, the, the final say on, uh, on the sisters. Um, yeah, I think great story. One of my, one of my favorites in, in the collection, one of the ones that 
you know, there was a, a good 10, 12 year gap between my initial reading of, of, of Dubliners and, and my um, reading it again in anticipation of this podcast. And, but that was one of the stories that absolutely stuck with me through that time. Um, I think it's also, you know, so many of the themes that are, are covered in the, in the rest of the book are also brought up here. You know, um, I've heard said that uh, in some ways, um, Father Flynn's death, his corpse, his coffin, in some ways casts a shadow over the whole rest of the book, that this, this death is, is something that, you know, lives throughout the book and obviously the book ends then with the with the story of the dead um i think you know religion is something that comes up again and again and it's disappointment this like kind of failure um to realize um you know uh realize a dream or realize something greater this kind of paralysis that people are kind of stuck as as embodied by you know father flynn's uh, never quite making it to the top or um, that also is, is is a theme we'll look at again and again. And I think in the immediate next few episodes, like you said, the, an encounter in Araby, there are also similarly themed that we have these, uh, you know, young young boys who are kind of becoming aware of the world of adults or becoming aware of themselves. And yeah, I think it's just, it's a fantastic intro to a fantastic collection. And yeah, like you said, hope we can persuade some of you to, to go out and read this story or maybe read it again or... Um, yeah, and hopefully you'll follow along with us. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you've made it this far, it's been a pleasure. Um, see you next time. See you later.